Thank all of you for being here. Why don't you just turn to somebody and say something nice to them. Just let them know you're glad to see them this morning. We're very honored. Please no one take offense at the humor. That's all it is. It's just humor. Don't don't take offense at it. Um, Just to hopefully make you smile. I like to see you smile. So here it is. Picture in your mind a grandma in her car. Okay? Some angry guy with road rage just yells out of his window. I'm going to make your life a living hell. And the grandma yells back. Thanks, but I'm not looking for a relationship right now. Thank you. You can be seated. Today, I want to talk about why trust matters. I'm sure that you understand that we've never been in a day like we are living in now. And trust is probably at an all-time premium. We ask ourselves the question, I'm sure most of you have, can I trust my government? Can I trust my government leaders? And I see most of you shaking your head. Then we ask ourselves, well, can I trust the news media? And most of us are shaking our head. Even when you look on social media, you don't even know if you can trust that picture because he or she may look totally different in person than what they look like on that picture. You don't even know if you can trust it. You don't even know if you can trust what's really coming across the news. Is this fake news? Is this real news? You don't even know. And then it comes to, well, can I trust anyone in authority? Can I trust my pastor? Can I trust the principal at the school? Can I trust the teacher? And then we think, well, can, you know, can, I, can I even trust the people around me? You know, we've had a lot of work done at our house and a lot of work done here at the church. And one of the first things that you ask when someone comes to your house is, can I trust them? Because they may tell me they're going to be here at 8 o'clock on Monday, but don't show up till 2 on Wednesday. Can I trust them? And then it just keeps going down the list. And as Christians, we even get to the place that we ask the question, well, can I trust God? Can Can I trust God? Can... I'm in a financial crisis, so can I trust him in this? Or maybe someone here this morning, you're in a marital crisis, and you ask, can I I really trust God with this? Some of you may be in a personal health crisis and things that are going on in your health. You haven't told a soul, and you're just wondering, well, can I trust God with this? 
I think that pretty much everyone in this room realizes, I hope you realize, that not everything that bad happens comes from God. I hope that most of you understand that a lot of bad things that happen to us is just because we live in a fallen world. I hope you also understand that some of the bad things that have happened to us is really because of our own poor choices. But there are some things, there are some struggles and crises that God does allow. And so then we ask the question, well, if God really allows some crisis in my life, then then how can I really trust a God that allows struggle or crisis? Now, here's something that I just want you to think about. I believe that God is far more concerned about our character than he is our accomplishments. And you say, well, why is that, Pastor? Because the only thing that you and I are going to take to heaven with us is our character. We're not going to take our accomplishments with us to heaven. And you may say, okay, I, I can buy into that. And so with that, I, I want to begin to tell a story. And through this story, I want to show you why trust matters. Why it's important that you and I trust God. Most of you in this room, you know the story of Jacob. And if you don't know the story of Jacob and Esau and Isaac, then I would, I would encourage you to go home today and read Genesis chapter 27 and, and, and 28 and, and read the story. But in Genesis 27 and 28 is the story of Jacob and Esau and Isaac. And the story of Jacob what you will find is, is that Jacob is a deceiver. He's a manipulator. He's a con man. And so he, he cons his twin brother Isaac out of his birthright. He cons his father Isaac. Uh, did I say, pardon me, his brother Esau. Forgive me, Jacob, his brother Esau. Cons him out of his birthright. Then he deceives his own father out of the blessing. And then he... Uh, he runs from his brother. Uh, then as you read the story, you'll find out that he runs to a different land. He gets married. Then he runs from his father-in-law, Laban. And Jacob's life is really about running. It's about running. And in the story, God, he just... Stops Jacob long enough to get his attention so that he can show him his purpose. And after God really kind of stops Jacob from running 
and he shows him his purpose, then after that, there is a severe struggle that comes into Jacob's life. And what I'd like to attempt to do is to show you some struggles that you and I will go through to get ready to fulfill God's purposes in our life. Ladies and gentlemen, I would love to get up here and just preach to you a prosperity gospel and tell you that as long as you live for God, he's going to bless you and uh, your life is really going to be great. But the fact of the matter is you can be serving God and doing all you know to do and there still be struggles. That's just the truth and I always want to tell you the truth in love. But what I want to do this morning with the help of the Lord is I want to show you through this story how God uses our struggles. And if you don't understand the way God thinks, then it can really affect your walk. I want you to go now to Genesis chapter 28. We're going to begin at verse 11. When Jacob reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. He found a smooth stone for a pillow and he laid down to sleep. Then God gave him a dream in which he saw a stairway going from earth to heaven. Now, I know many of you thought this stairway to heaven was a Led Zeppelin song. But it's actually about the story of Jacob. <laughs> So he saw a stairway going from earth to heaven and the angels of God were going up and down the stairs. And at the top of the stairway was God who said, I am the same Lord of Abraham, your grandfather and of Isaac, your father. And I am going to give you and your descendants all the land on which you are sleeping. Then God continues to speak to Jacob and he tells him all the people of the earth are going to be blessed because of you. Your future generations are going to be blessed. Now, when Jacob woke up, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. Now, that's the, the exciting part of the story. God gives him a dream. And this is basically in today's terminology what God tells Jacob. He says, Jacob, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a great nation out of you and your descendants. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. And then if you keep reading in that, which we didn't read, Jacob turns around and says, you're going to be my God. And I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that you bless me with. Here's where it starts to get interesting. But Jacob at this point in his life was not ready for the blessing. Jacob at this point in his life was still not mature enough to handle what God wanted to give him. And God does the exact same thing with us. He takes us through crises and struggles and situations to do what? To build our character, Amen. 
to strengthen our faith, to build up our patience, to help us to be resilient people, and to fortify our trust. See, the first thing that God uses to prepare all of us for the blessing is a crisis. And you say, oh, dear God, that's where we start. I'm sad to tell you, but yes, that's where we all start. See, if you're wrestling this morning with some difficult issues in your life, then really congratulations. You say, why? Because God's getting you ready for something bigger, something better, something greater. Because God doesn't have little plans for anyone in this house. All of Jacob's life, as you study him, was full of manipulation. Now, approximately 23 years later, after Jacob had run, he had run from his home, he had run from his father, his mother, and his brother, Approximately 23 years later, now we're at the story to where Jacob is coming back. And he knows that he is about to face his brother, who he did wrong many years ago. And he's scared to death because he understands that he's cheated Esau out of something that he'll never get back. And Esau is extremely angry and he wants to kill him and he knows it. So now God basically stops Jacob. And I want you to look now in Genesis, if you will, 32 and 22. That night, Jacob sent his family across the river, the Jabbok River. And then when Jacob was left alone, a man came and wrestled with him all night. And so what we learn in the story is, is that Jacob is really wrestling. This man is really, is really God. And I know that you're going to find this hard to believe, but I'm going to just tell you the truth. All of our biggest struggle is with God. I know you find that hard to believe. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think in your mind right now, please think what is one of the biggest conflicts or the biggest problems that you are facing right now? Think about it. Without knowing what that is, I think that we can boil it down to two basic issues. Number one, will I obey God? And do the right thing in this situation. And number two. Will I trust God. To take care of this situation. See the root. And I know this is hard for Christians to believe. But the root of our problems. Is really our struggle with God. Because we don't like to admit it. But really, most of us in this room, 
We want to be in control. We want to be in charge and we want to call the shots. And that doesn't make us bad people. We're not bad people. It just means that our human nature likes to be in control and we don't like to trust what we can't see. Now, we do trust so many things we can't see, like radio waves and microwaves and TV waves and electricity. We have learned to trust that. And so we do trust every day things we can't see. But the fact of the matter is we don't like to trust in a God that we can't see. And we don't like a God that we can't see to be calling the shots in our life. So look at the scripture. It says this, and a man came and wrestled with him all night. Now, what is the point of wrestling? The point of wrestling is basically to get your opponent to surrender. I'm going to tell you just a quick, quick story. So I was about 14, 15. I was kind of working out a little bit, eating raw eggs and a bunch of other stuff I thought to make me gain weight. I was feeling a little cocky. And so I went up to my dad. I said, I think I'm ready to take you on. And so my dad, he was a military police in the Air Force, went through a lot of training. He just looked at me and he said, really? I said, yeah. So I bowed up. And this is a true story. Um, he flipped me so quick. I was on my back. I'm not making any of this up. And he put his knee into my chest and his finger in my face and said this, don't be a fool, son. <laughs> Ask me if I bowed up again. Never happened. See, this is what you have to understand about God. It's not that God is rough. It's not that God is mean. It's not that God is cruel. God wants to get our attention. And the point of the wrestling match is all about surrender. It's saying, I give up. I'm going to let you be in control. See, God never forces any of you to do anything. He's not. So why did God wrestle then with Jacob all night? Here's, here's what you need to understand. God could have pinned Jacob down in seconds. Sure. Why did he let him wrestle all night? Because he wanted Jacob to realize that nothing he can do is going to get him out of this. And God is so patient. Ladies and gentlemen, what blows my mind is the patience that God has had with me. Can I, can I just tell you that I haven't come to an altar and repented once or twice over the same sin. I've come many times over the same iniquity in my life. And God just keeps being gracious to me. So it's not that God is being harsh on us. It's just that God wants us to see when you've tried everything that you know to do and it still don't work out. He wants you to understand that if you would just surrender, 
then he'll make a way where there just seems to be no way. But you gotta, you just gotta work yourself down until you get to the point of surrender. And some of you may be saying today, well, you know what, pastor, I just feel like I'm in a no win situation. Here's what I want you to get. Most often God uses a crisis to get your attention. Why is that? Because none of us change when we see the light. We all change when we feel the heat. Are you with me? Okay. You, you, you say, what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. This is my white shirt. And uh, it's unfortunate that I'm not so holy when I put it on, all the wrinkles come out. <laughs> but this shirt has been washed. It just hasn't been ironed. But I, I'll tell you, this, this iron is cold, and I can just keep it on here all day, and, and y'all know nothing's going to happen. The wrinkles don't come out until the iron gets hot. And, and y'all know Janet, right? Y'all know Janet, and y'all know Molly. And if I put this shirt on this morning and came and preached in this shirt... My wife and Molly would not be happy. Why? Because they would say, Dad, we've got an iron and we, we, we need an iron shirt here. We want you to look your best before uh, the people. And you may say, why, why does God, uh, why will God wrestle with me? Why will God turn the heat on in my life? Because God wants to present you but there's some wrinkles in your life. There's some, there's some things there. And, and this, is, this is why God allows a crisis. Because you don't change when you see the light. You only change when you feel the heat. And you'll keep running. Most people will run. And they will continue to run. This is why so many people live their life in a circle. Because they run from this problem, run to that problem, run to this, run to that. They, they don't want to surrender and stop long enough for God to take the heat and to begin to show them themselves so that God can ultimately use them for a purpose that is bigger and greater than themselves. See, see if you don't understand, here's why I'm talking about why does trust matter. I know that I'm talking to someone here. See, if you don't understand God, then you're going to see God when he allows the heat to get in your life. You're going to see him as mean. You're going to see him as I can't believe I serve a God that would allow this to happen to me. And then what's going to happen is, is because you don't understand how God works. You walk out on the very thing that you need the most because you don't understand it. Because God's intent, ladies and gentlemen, when you heat up an iron, you're not thinking about hurting your clothes. You're not thinking about damaging your clothes. God knows how much heat you can take. Just like this is a cotton garment, you look on this and it says cotton. And that's what I turn it to because that's what this garment can take. God knows what you can take and he will not put on you more than you can bear. 
But there are times that you think, I can't bear this. I can't bear what I am going through. If God is so loving and if God is so kind, then why is there so much heat in my life? It's because God wants to present you to a community and to a lost world, but there's still some things that need to be ironed out in your life. I know that your mama told you you were the best thing since sliced bread. I get that. But mama's sweet. But God is truthful. And God sees some things in you that mama kind of overlooks because you're her baby. Did that make sense? Okay. Let let me ask you another question. Just to try to make this relevant. How many of you have ever watched football? And one player gets mad at the other and they start to go at it. Have you ever seen that? Okay. Have you also ever seen a teammate basically go over and wrestle this one dude almost down to the ground? Have you ever seen that? Why was he doing that? Because basically this teammate was trying to save this man from making a fool of himself. And if it's in the NFL, he could get a fine, $25,000, $50,000, depending on the severity of it. And he's trying to save him from making a fool of himself and having to pay $25,000 just because he's angry. Ladies and gentlemen, why does God wrestle you down? It's not because he's a bad God. It's because he's trying to save you from yourself. He's trying to save you from making a fool of your life. Because if we don't surrender, if man is left to his own ways, he's going to fall into the ditch. Does this make sense? And so he's going to use a crisis. Why? Because he's hoping you're going to surrender. Why is he hoping I'm going to surrender? Because then he can start changing your character. Real quick, I read about the most expensive horse um, and how much the most expensive horse sold for. Uh, I can't pronounce the first name of the horse, but the last name of the horse is Pegasus. And this horse sold for $70 million. It was a racehorse. Um, he won the Kentucky Derby back in 2000. You can look all this up on Google. Um, sold it to Coolmore uh, Farms in Kentucky. And you say, well, why is this horse so valuable? One of the reasons why the horse is so valuable is what it did and what it accomplished. But you think about if that horse would have never been broken, a jockey would have never been able to get on it and never ride it to win the derby. Again, I'm just trying to give you an illustration. What made that beast so valuable is because there was a trainer that broke it. We're not horses and God's not trying to break us. The point that I want to make is until somebody breaks us, we're not really usable. A lightning bolt can be beautiful and you can watch it new and awe at it, but a lightning bolt won't light up your house. you got to have electricity that is harnessed to be able to turn the lights on. And, and, and you may be talented, you may be good, you may be great, but until God can take you, so to speak, and break you to harness you, you're never going to be useful for his kingdom.
Why does God trust me with you in this stage? Why does he trust me? Because when you didn't even know my name, I was running a bus route in Cleveland, Texas. Had three vans that I filled up with some help from a girl named Tara and a friend named Jimmy. And we, 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 we uh, took kids that just basically lived in nothing and had nothing and wiped their noses and did a lot of other things. Fed them. But God couldn't trust me with this. He couldn't trust me with that. God wants to give his people the much. Here's what happens. It's not that God, ladies and gentlemen, doesn't have the resources. God has all the resources. It's what God is looking for is someone that he can trust with the resources. Because if God gives you resources, then you may think the resources is what makes you valuable. And God said, the resources is not what makes you valuable. What makes you valuable is that you're my son and I want to trust you with these resources so that you don't just hang on to them to feel valuable, but you let them flow through you so that you can be a blessing. Does that make sense? Okay. Here's why, ladies and gentlemen, that many times we don't submit to the heat. Because we're afraid of letting go of control. We're afraid. And we rarely change. Please get this. We rarely change until our pain becomes greater than our fear of letting go. Now look at Genesis 32, please. Notice what it says, 32 and 24. Jacob wrestled with this man until dawn. So this is an all-night situation, and the crisis is not over quickly. Now notice what it says. When the man saw that he could not win the match, he struck Jacob's hip and knocked it out of joint, knocked it out of socket. So yeah, that's got to be painful, right? But have you realized this yet? The very God that you wrestle with, when you go and you say things like this, God, I don't want to do that. Do you understand that I did not want to be a pastor? I grew up in a pastor's home. I really wanted to be an airline pilot. I wanted to fly around the world, meet a lot of interesting people, eat a lot of good food, see a lot of sights. That's really what I wanted to do. But I knew God called me into the ministry. And now can I tell you, brothers and sisters, I absolutely love what God has called me to. Because God knows what's going to make you happier than what you even know is going to make you happy. Why? Because he wrote the manual on you. He knows you inside and out. And all he's wanting you to do is just surrender because if you will surrender to his plan, his plan is bigger and better and greater than your plan. And when you say, no, God, I I don't want to do that. No, God, I don't want to tithe. No, God, I don't want to trust you. No, God, I don't want your rules for sex. No, God, I don't want to be kind to my enemies. No, God, I don't want to love people who persecute me. Have you realized that God isn't here, brothers and sisters, to destroy the purpose that he gave you? He's here to get you ready for it. 
So why does God allow struggle and crisis? Because it's all about our character, our stamina, our patience, our resilience, and our trust. Can I tell you that I am a different man today than what I was three years ago? I'm more patient today. What taught me that? This building. Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you, I'm a different man today. That's the truth. So Jacob starts wrestling. And again, God could have pinned him down in minutes, but he didn't. And this always bugs us because you know what we want? We want God to resolve everything immediately. But, but why didn't God resolve it immediately? But well, one, he wanted to just, he wanted to see if Jacob meant business. Let me ask you a question. What if God answered every prayer you ever asked? Then you'd treat God like a vending machine. And you know what you'd be? You'd be a spoiled brat. Come on, somebody. You put in the prayer, you pull a button, you get whatever you want. I'm here to tell you God's not your genie. He never has been and he never will be. If you're a good parent, let me just ask you a question. If you're a good parent, do you give your kids everything they want? If you're a good parent, you don't. And if you're a good parent, you will even let your kids sometimes struggle. And you know what you'll say? Hey, don't, don't mess with them right now. They need to figure this out. And if you do it for them, they're never going to figure it out. How many's ever said that? Okay. Now, what do you think about God? God says, you know what? I don't raise four brats. So I'm going to let you wrestle with this a while. This is going to be an all-night situation. Because I don't want you to be a spoiled brat, and I'm not a genie. So you're going to struggle through this thing, and then you're going to get it figured out. Because God is not against you. God is for you. He wants you to succeed. He wants to bless you. But let me ask you this question. Does the army train its cadets by feeding them cupcakes all day and letting them play video games? No, they don't. And if you're a good parent, you don't do that either. You challenge your kids. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. It says this, Let us not become weary in well-doing, for in due season or at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we what? Don't give up. You know what the enemy wants? The enemy wants you to give up. The enemy, the enemy wants you to look like this. Well, it don't matter. It don't matter. What's a couple wrinkles? My God, everybody got a couple wrinkles. That's not how God sees it. It's not how God thinks. And, and if you don't understand, I, I told our team this morning, I said, there's a scripture in the Bible that says this. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. In other words, what that means is, is Moses understood why God did what he did. And the people of Israel only saw why he did it. They didn't understand why he did it. Moses understood. See, when you start understanding how God thinks, 
then you start realizing that when he applies the heat to your life through all kinds of situations, it's not because he's mad at you. It's because he's got purpose for you. Okay. All right. Now, here's the most important part of the story. So if you haven't um, awakened, please awake. Here it is. Here's the most important part. Genesis 32 and 27. Here it is. So the man asked him, what's your name? It's not, listen, when God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's rhetorical. He, uh, he knows all things. So he's wanting Jacob to admit something. He's wanting him to confess something here. Jacob says, I'm Jacob. My name is Jacob. And basically, he's admitting, I am a deceiver. I'm a con man. I'm a manipulator. And now it becomes an act of self-revelation because now Jacob is finally owning up to the fact of all these years I've been a con man. And now this is a huge moment of confession when Jacob, y'all, everybody holds your breath, when Jacob realizes I'm my own biggest problem. Now this is going to be tough for all of us to take, but here it is. None of us, none of us will be able to fulfill God's purpose until we admit our own weaknesses. When I admit, brothers and sisters, when I admit that I am my own biggest problem, this is a huge breakthrough in your struggle. I can't go into this because I could give you so many personal examples. But for years, I thought Janet was my biggest problem. And it took me years. In fact, it, it actually, here's where in the last probably five years is where I admitted I'm my biggest problem. Y'all, I got to looking. I wanted to know, uh, what do scholars say about Jacob and this timeline in his life? I was thrilled to learn this. He's between 90 and 100 years old. I thought, well, praise God. I got it a little quicker than Jacob. You know why? Because none of us in this room want to admit we are the biggest problem. None of us. It's always parent fault, sister's fault, brother's fault, daddy's fault, mama's fault, wife's fault, kid's fault. I I understand that. But here's what I also understand. You're going to have to stop blaming others for your weakness. And you're going to have to stop rationalizing your weaknesses. Remember this. I want this to come up on the screen. Here's what I want you to remember. To rationalize is to tell rational lies. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, again, I can't get into this, but it's called the imposter syndrome. And the imposter syndrome, basically what it means is, is I want you to believe something about me that I know in my heart's not true about myself. So I try to project something to you that I know behind closed doors I'm really not. That's called the imposter syndrome. And what it is, is basically you want me to believe something about you that you don't believe about yourself. And so you keep telling yourself that you're better than you are. Your mind knows 
but your heart don't believe it. In other words, what are you saying? Your mind knows who you are, but you're trying to get your heart to believe that. But you know you're not who you're supposed to be. You just want to project that you're that. See, what God wants to do, ladies and gentlemen, he wants to, he wants to refine all of our character. Because he's more concerned about our character than he is our accomplishments. Just, just, just go ask, uh, just, just go ask Nathan. Nathan's been around a lot of singers, a lot of singers. A lot of people that get on stage are one way, and they're a totally different way off stage. How many know somebody like that? Oh, man. I'm going to ask you again. How many know somebody that's very different once you get to know them than when you first meet them? Sure. And this is exactly what God is trying to do. He's wanting your inside to match your outside. Come on, somebody. See, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How do I get grace? See, you're going to need grace in your life. How do I get grace? The scripture says God gives grace to the humble. So here's what Jacob does. He says, God, I admit it. God, I'm a manipulator. Now listen to this. This is very important. When he admits, God, I'm a manipulator, then God gets real honest with Jacob. And this is what he says. Jacob, your name is no longer going to be called Jacob. I'm going to give you a brand new identity. Took him 90 to 100 years to get honest. Think about that. And here's the transformation. He said, guess what? Because you finally have gotten honest. And because you have finally admitted that it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Now transformation is going to happen. And God no longer looks at all of Jacob's sin. Now God looks at Jacob's potential. Because God is looking beyond Jacob's emotional hangups. And he's saying, you know what? I see a prince. Please stay with me. I know I'm going long. Just stay with me, please. Look at Genesis 32. Then the sun rose as Jacob left Penel, and he was limping because of his hip. Jacob had spent his entire life running. He ran from his brother. He ran from his father. He ran from his homeland. He ran from his father-in-law. And God says, we're going to put an end to that. And I'm going to touch you in your hip, and you'll never be able to run again. What's the moral of that? Listen, please. You never solve a problem by running from it. My cousin, who is a counselor, asked me a powerful question. She asked me one time, she said, Wayne, are you running to something? Or are you running from something? Because most people run from something. They're not running to something. And God touched Jacob in the hollow of his thigh. I didn't know this, but your thigh muscle is, the most, is your biggest muscle and your most powerful muscle in your body. What does that mean? It means that God touched Jacob where he was the strongest to make him the weakest because God looks at it in your weakness. I'm going to be strong. And I'm going to stop you from doing what you've done all of your life. I'm going to stop you from running. 
And here, here's very important. If you don't get anything else, please get this. God does his deepest work in our life when he changes our identity and he changes how you see yourself. This is one of the biggest problems, ladies and gentlemen, that we have is the way we see ourselves and the way we've been told to see ourselves. I asked Kaylee for permission to do this and she gave me permission. So this is permission granted. Janet and I saw leadership in Kaylee. We saw potential in Kaylee. And I said, Kaylee, hey, I see, we see leadership in you. We see the ability to lead. She couldn't see it. She got up. She led a little bit. Come in my office. I don't think I can do this. Yes, you can. I don't know how many times Kaylee has come into my office and basically resigned. Is that true, Kaylee? We don't know. We lost count. But you know what? Janet and I just kept saying, Kaylee, we see this in you. We believe you can do this. Now, just think of all the Sundays that Kaylee and her team has been a blessing to you and helped lead you into the presence of God. But what if she would have given up way back over there? Because how long you been with us now, Kaylee? Nine years. You've been leading nine years. Nine years that she has been a blessing, a faithful blessing. But it was because somebody saw something in her that she didn't even see in herself. See, see, you've had parents that, that, that told you things, grandparents. You've even had pastors that told you things. And, and, and they didn't really see you for who you are because what they did was is they passed on the hurt that was passed on to them. And so you just have reaped what they reaped and what the generation before them reaped. And then somebody has to step up and say, this is where it stops. God, you know, I know it ain't going to feel good. But many times you've got to hurt to heal. So Lord, if this is what it takes for me to be the man you know I can be, then just put the heat on me and do God what you know you got to do because I trust you that you're not going to put more on me than I can bear. I got to wrap this up. I've been a long time. I'm going to wrap it up with four questions. Here we go. Number one, what areas of your life are you struggling with God? You may say, Pastor, I'm not sure what, what you're talking about. Okay, I'm going to be very specific. Here you are. What do you know is the right thing to do, but you keep ignoring God and not doing it? Okay. I'm not mad at you. I love you. But some of you know the right thing to do is spend time along with God every day. Read your Bible. Get, get some downtime. You know it's the right thing, but you don't do it. You just wake up. You just go about your day. Right? Okay. Some of you know that it's the right thing to do is to give God 10% of your income, but you don't want to do that. Preacher don't deserve that. It's not. Sweet people, it's not about what I deserve. It's about obeying biblical principles so that you can be blessed according to God's word. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, what about sex? Well, I just think, you know, it doesn't matter. Well, according to this Bible, it does matter. Because when you have sex with the person, you become one with that individual. Right. Come on, right. Come on. Well, that's just what you think. Listen, again, I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I'm just giving you something to think about. I'm not here to make you do anything. But what are, what are, what are you saying to God that is a big struggle? 
You're saying, well, you know what? I don't want to forgive them. I don't want to let them off the hook. I don't want to forgive my ex. I want to hang on to my resentment. And you're hanging on to your resentment because you feel like you can get revenge. But what God says is let it go. And let me fight your battles. Are you with me? Some of you are wrestling with the problem and you're looking at your problem right now. You're looking at it and say, there's a no win. This is a no win situation. And you're not trusting God with it. Because I want to encourage you with God. There is no such thing as a no win situation. God always can make a way of escape. Here's the second question. What areas of your life have you felt like giving up? Just seems easier to walk away from it all. Just walk away from it all. There's people in this room you thought about suicide. I beg you not to do that. That is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And you know why the enemy wants you to give up? Because then he can write defeated over your life. And God doesn't get the glory for your story. And you don't fulfill his purpose. I just give up. It don't matter. Who cares anyway? Nobody cares anyway. God cares and God loves you. That's why he's trying to get your attention because he's got purpose for you. And if you give up, you're going to walk out on the greatest blessing of your life. Here's the third question. What do you need to admit about yourself? What is the common denominator in all of your problems? Hold your breath. Here it comes. It's you. And when are you going to have the courage to share that? With someone. I'm not talking about telling everybody, but I'm talking about telling someone because here's what the Bible says. When you reveal the first thing that you got to do to get healing is to reveal your feeling. When you confess your fault one to another, that's when you start getting healed. But as long as you keep it closed, you're only as sick as your secrets. Here's the fourth question. Will you let God give you a brand new identity? Because it really doesn't matter, ladies and gentlemen, what people say about you. It, really, it doesn't matter what they say about you, what others have said about you, what your peers have said about you. It really doesn't at the end of the day. Because God knows beneath every person there is a prince and there is a princess. Amen. Amen. Beneath all of these wrinkles, there's a beautiful white shirt. But it's got to surrender to the heat. And I have no doubt about it. The Holy Spirit instructed me to preach on trust because some of you are wondering, can I even trust God? And if you don't understand why that God brings the heat to your life, here's what's going to happen. We may not see you in two Sundays. Because you don't understand why God does what he does. And you think that, well, pastor, you preach that God loves me, that God loves me. Yes, he does love you. He loves you very much. He loves you so much that he's not going to let you stay the way you are. Have you ever, have you, you know what I've told my wife? Hey, don't worry about ironing that. It takes too much time. And here's what she says. You get your little Easter keys to back here and wait. I ain't letting you go out of the house like that. Oh, it don't matter. Yes, it matters. 
Why is God, why is God slowing you down? Why do you feel like any way you turned? Y'all, for five years, dear, I could literally preach. I'm not exaggerating two hours on this. Live so much of this. I lived for five years where people could come by and wave at me, but they couldn't touch me. Couldn't touch me. Couldn't help me. What was God doing? He was wrestling me down. Not because he was mad at me, but because he loved me. Because he wanted me to be able to handle this stage that I never even knew I was coming to. Why, why is God putting you through that? Because he's getting you ready for this. And if you don't understand God, you're going to get very angry with him. And you'll walk out safe. It's not worth it. Would you stand with me? Thank you for your patience. Been very patient. Thank you. All right, I just want to give you some instructions and then we'll, we'll go forward. I realize that people in this room are very different, right? The way you respond, very different. I get it. So if you want to stay in your pew, stay in your pew. When I come up to the front, I'm going to have these prayer leaders come up to the front. And if you want them to pray with you, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Don't tell the whole backstory because you can... You can get lost in that. Just tell them in one sentence. You know what? I'm in a marital crisis. I need God to help me. I'm in a financial crisis. I need God to help me. I'm in a personal crisis. I need God to help me. I'm just really struggling in my faith and I need the Lord to help me. And they're going to pray with you. If you want to stay where you're at, stay where you're at. If you want to come up to the front, come up to the front. But what I'm going to do, it's 1115. What I'm, I'm going to ask everyone, please. I'm asking you to stay at least maybe a minute or two before you leave and just ponder what you've heard. Now, how can I take what I've heard and apply it to my life? I know there is no doubt in my spirit there are some people here you're angry with God because you don't understand why haven't you done this yet? I've prayed, I've prayed, I've prayed. Why haven't you changed this situation? Why isn't this door open? God's teaching you some things that you can't learn any other way. And it's not because he's a cruel God. It's because he's got purpose for you. Father, I've told you many times, Lord. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for the heartache. Thank you for the pain. Thank you for the good times and thank you for the bad. And in all these things, I'll give you thanks 
Because I know Romans 8 and 28 says you're working it all. All of it. You're working all of it for my good. There are some people in this room right now that that they're seriously contemplating just walking away from all of it. They just don't understand. How can a loving God let me go through all of this? Lord, would you reveal yourself this morning? And would you begin to show us how much you love us, but you love us enough to help us to change the very thing that we can't. We can't. So, Father, I pray for this beautiful congregation. And I pray for your people now. Do a work in us and through us that only you can do. And we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. Our prayer leaders are coming up to the front. I'm going to just ask you once again, before you make a move, would you just... If you're not coming up to the front, just stand there. And just think about... How can I apply this to my life? 